This episode of the podcast is brought to you by tattooing people's names on your body as soon as you meet them so you never have that awkward what's your name again conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Roll the Credits, the podcast, the only podcast that is perfect. I'm Frank. So we think. I'm Zach. <laughs> and today we are talking about films that we think are perfect. We mm. think that are masterpieces and that, I don't know, maybe maybe there are flaws with it, but we choose to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, I guess that kind of is more along the line of just like favorite films. Like you can you can absolutely just appreciate it for all its flaws. Yeah. Um, there are yeah. definitely movies on my list that maybe aren't, you know, perfect perfect Mm. but to me they're perfect yeah or or like in the same genre where it's like you know majority rules that like people think that these are like masterpieces yeah um i honestly didn't go a lot of like older films uh Um, i went i have i have one from the 80s the 1980s i mean Instead of the 2080s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the rest of mine are... I have a few early 2000s and then some ones that came out within the past like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I have a good mix, I think. So I have the 80s, some early 2000s, some mid 2000s, and some current day ones. I have a, I have a decent amount of like current... like That's, between, that's surprising. Between now and like the last 10 years. That's kind of surprising because um, I guess maybe not. I don't know. I did. Well, it's, it's hard to say that there's like because yeah. the only reason why I'm saying this is because a lot of you know films that people say like you know you need to it needs to be like 20 years out before you can really see like is it a masterpiece? Yeah, how, like, how we have to aged. see how it ages. We have to see how it goes with generations and and whatnot. So the fact that we do have some picks that are like oh this came out in 2020 or 2018 mm-hmm. or something like that is a little interesting. Yeah. But that doesn't that all that doesn't matter because fuck you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just this, what we. This pick. is our podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that being said, why don't you start us off with your first pick? Okay, so my first pick, I've talked about like way too many times. So like, I feel like it's just like I gotta get it out there. Um, 2019's Ari Aster's Midsommar. Mm. It's like, again, I've had like this back and forth with it, but like, it is just a perfect film. Like, it feels so depressing and like. And, and just horrific and the way that you get like the horror that you didn't fully expect from it because with hereditary with Ari Aster you got like everything kind of like slow built up like you felt everything this was like it felt like even slower to like get everything so within. can I can I ask you a question yes what made you choose Midsommar over hereditary oh because uh, so I have Hereditary as like my honorable mention. Um, so I'm just gonna be honest. My first pick that I was gonna choose was Hereditary. Yeah. So I, my first pick was I wasn't gonna say Hereditary right away, but mm-hmm. you you since you brought up Ari Aster, I yeah. guess I'll just I'll just say it. That's interesting that I went with Hereditary and you went with Midsummer, and you during the podcast when we recorded yes. Midsummer, <laughs> and over the course of every fucking day that I see you, you it's somehow Midsummer always comes up and you're like, ah, I don't know. Ah, I don't know. I know. So I'm interested to hear why you chose Midsummer over Hereditary when you clearly are so divided on it. I know. Like, it, it's so weird. And maybe that's part of it is because, like, when you have, like, a, a film that is, like, a masterpiece, like, you are going to have those people that are so divided on it. And you're gonna nitpick like every little thing about it to be like, no, maybe it's not a masterpiece. Mm. Um, 
I love Hereditary. I think it is like a fantastic film. I think it is like a masterpiece film made. There's just something about Midsommar that like for all these years since we've done it, like I can't fucking put my finger on it. It's like there's something about like the way that like he executed it this time around where the characters just feel like they're they're stuck in this. You get like the small little nuances of like the drugs taking effect. The idea of like the actual story of being in this like Norwegian society and like the sun never sets. And it's like this horror film that's in the daylight. Mm-hmm. And it it's this cult film that feels like a cult film, but it feels different from any other cult film ever made. Like there's just something that like I can't quite put my finger on it that like I absolutely love this film at this point. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how movies just grow on you. Yeah, and and it literally took five times of me watching it <laughs> to be like, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt the same way watching. I mean, it took me, I, I definitely didn't go, it didn't take me as long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was very lukewarm on, Mids, uh, on Midsommar when I first watched it out of theater. And then slowly but surely, it's completely just, you know, I, I love it a, a lot. But mm-hmm. I do prefer Hereditary. Yeah, I mean, um, that was, like, the big toss-up. Like, it almost came down to, like, a coin flip for me. Yeah, it's based... It, it kind of is like that. Um, the reason why I chose Hereditary was because I think that... I think that while, yes, I love Midsommar, and it it very much is a master class in filmmaking, mm-hmm. I think that it's so big and so much is going on that there are some cracks there are some things that maybe mm. i think that that's kind of why i'm a little iffy like i think the main reason why what made me choose hereditary over midsummer was the fact that there are I, no cracks is i saw hereditary and i loved it the second i saw it and it's yeah. only gotten better mm. while midsummer it took me i kind of appreciate midsummer even for its flaws like mm-hmm. I don't entirely think that all the characters in Midsommar are really necessary and they're mm-hmm. kind of they kind of are just brought on just to maybe just be killed. Yeah. Right. Hereditary feels so airtight. Yeah. Like every character matters. Every scene matters. Yeah. Everything is just literally building up Ex- for the ending. Exactly. And. I think it's scarier. Yeah. I think I think it's a more classic horror film when it comes to like delivering the goods. Mm-hmm. I think it does a really good balance of being that art house indie but also having those traditional kind of scares. So it's a good balance of having people like me and people who maybe are more just like a casual movie watcher. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, there's kind of a really good balance there, you know, going on as well. Yeah. And I will always say that Hereditary was the film that like for me, kind of revived horror a little bit because, like, it showed that you can make a horror film without having jump scares. Right. Like, you can just have tension building, right? Slow and, burn, and then payoff, right? And there are jump scares. It's mm. just not the traditional. Mm-hmm. It's not the loud music plays and then it's a false scare because it's really just a cat jumping out of a trash can yeah. or something. Like everything is perfect. Yeah, and I don't know. Like maybe with Midsommar, like it's because. It's not that conventional horror film. Like, it is something where it's like, you know, this could honestly be happening somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's to me where it's like, that's the scary part of it. Like, it, it adds that realism to it. Yeah. I will say the Ari Aster has delivered twice for me, mm-hmm. like, the jaw-dropping moments. Yeah. When the sister gets beheaded, mm-hmm. literally for, like, three minutes. Oh, absolutely. jaw-dropped in theaters. 
And when the opening scene of In Midsommar, when the sister kills the parents with the exhaust from the car. Yes. And they're sitting there in the gas mask. And For me, it was like when they jump off the cliff. In Oh, in, in Midsommar, in, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, for me, it was absolutely the gas mask scene and then that like panning out of the window mm-hmm. and the snow coming down. I was like, he, did, he I, literally, I literally said to Jess while we were sitting there, I was like, he did it again. Yeah. Like he did it again. <laughs> I am jaw dropped twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's even moments in, in, uh, in his fucking, uh, the strange things about the Johnson. Yeah. Like where yeah, you kind of left jaw dropped as well. Yeah, there were, so. there was like two points where I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> So uh, Ari Aster is just he's he's a really really incredible talented filmmaker, um, mm-hmm. and we think that his his two features mm-hmm. are both masterpieces. Yeah, I mean I know he said he doesn't want to do horror next. Yeah, a little upset with that. I think like horror really is like his spot. Yeah, but, I think so too. You know we'll we'll wait and see. Like yeah. he, he'll definitely have something that's gonna yeah. get us again. Yep. Um. Okay. So my pick again. Yep. Uh, this one was actually a surprise one. Um, because it's not like really really a film it's more on like that documentary style of it but um i gotta give props to like anything that can actually have me feel emotion and like there's very few films that actually get me there and there's very few films that actually like even fewer that make me like sob and that was in and of itself Oh, wow. Yeah, directed Dude, by Frank Oz. I, we, you keep coming back to this. I know. It's so <laughs> crazy to me. Yeah. It's not a movie that I ever expected. I mean, I've, I actually recently just rewatched it, mm-hmm. uh, like maybe within the past two or three I'm kind of scared to rewatch it. Like, I want to show my fiance, like, really, really badly, but it's just like, I feel like I'm going to be emotionally damaged again it by it. It, it. it definitely is. But it's just so crazy to me that. Like, I never expected you to gravitate towards this film nearly as much as you did. I didn't think I would either, because, like, it's literally just... It feels just like, like a me movie. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like, it's literally just the one guy, Derek... Uh, was it Derek Delgadio? Yeah, Delgadio. Um, who just is standing there and telling, like, four different stories while doing magic tricks. Yeah. And, and like... But, like, the words that he's saying and the way that he conveys the story that, like, makes it feel like you're there in the audience and then of course too like that the mind-blowing thing at the end of like everybody picking the card yeah and him so emotional. like like that was literally the point that i was just like disgustingly tearing yeah i, I was like i don't know why like this just hit me like so hard <laughs> but um but yeah like it, it's it's nothing like super super special it's just one guy in a room talking to a bunch of other people but yeah. it's like the way that he tells the stories and like by the end of it, like it all coming together that made it feel perfect to me. Yeah. I mean, it's the only one that I've ever given like past a 10 to it's, uh, it's prop and, it, and it's not a traditional film. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's a one, it's a one man show play. It's, it's, it's described in like anything as a documentary. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a traditional narrative. It's literally a man performing on stage for an audience uh, over the course of like, I think it was like 400 and something um, shows in New mm-hmm. York city. Uh, he's got something else. He's doing, he's doing something else like in mm-hmm. New York city right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're recording um, it or what, what's going on, but he's doing something again. Okay. Uh, I would love to see it after watching in and of itself. Um, Again, I would also recommend his book, his mm-hmm. companion piece that that came out with it, uh, that that he, that he kind of like came out with, called "A Moral Man." 
that is a companion piece to in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good book. Uh, it's just, I'm shocked that you, that, that, <laughs> that, that you chose that. That's insane to me. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. I'm so happy though. Yeah. Like, well, again, too, like, it's the only film that I've ever, like, that we've done that I've put above a 10. Because I never, ever wanted to do that. But, like, there's just something where it's, like, that hit me the hardest. <laughs> and, two, like, I've never, ever really, like, had a film that, like, made me feel that emotional. Yeah, just, like, sobbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I feel it. I totally get it. Um, all right, well, so you already know my next one only because of my intro and yeah. you were like is that a yeah. is that a, is that a memento <laughs> reference but uh i think 2000 um i think it came out in 2000 right mm-hmm. yeah memento directed by christopher nolan is pretty much perfect you know i've never actually seen memento i've i've heard ah, like interesting I've, I've heard a bunch of stuff about it i know kind of like the twist with it oh that's so fucking disappointing i know but like I, I've heard really, really good things about it. Yeah. I always get this one and the machinist like confused in my head for some <laughs> Not reason. Even fucking close. Well, no, I know that, <laughs> but like it's um, the M's. The M's get me. <laughs> I guess yeah. So uh, Guy Pierce plays a guy named Leonard who suffers from a condition. So his wife gets m- brutally raped and murdered, and in like this attack, mm-hmm. and he gets hurt during this attack because he's trying to save his wife, where it has left him with really really intense like short memory um memory loss Mm -hmm. short-term memory loss he has to take polaroids and write on them he has to literally tattoo things all over his body uh and the movie is about him trying to solve his wife's murder essentially Mm -hmm. and it's told it's really interesting because it's there's there's a there's black and white scenes and then there's scenes that are in color and the scenes that are in black and white are in, are being played chronologically. Mm-hmm. And then the scenes that are in color are played backwards. But then the film is being played chronologically mm-hmm. the way that you're watching it. So there's like three different timelines going on while you're watching this film. Uh, and it is insane. And it is trippy and it is confusing. And you are definitely not going to fully grasp it, you know, if you watch it. One time, you need to watch it. This this is a film that absolutely requires multiple viewings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so cool to just see... I think that was his debut. and uh, it's, That's a hell of a debut. It is. It's so cool to see a debut like that because it shows you, A, he had like fucking no budget at all. So uh, it's really cool to see... It just shows you that you don't need a lot of money to make a good film. You just need a good story. Yeah. Uh, because, and I think that a lot of people, surprisingly enough, probably don't know Memento. Like a casual movie viewer probably doesn't know Memento. Mm-hmm. Spe- like when you when you mention Christopher Nolan to somebody who's like a casual movie viewer. You mostly think they're, of Batman. They're going to think Batman and like Inception. Yeah. You know, like those are probably like the two. Didn't no, he do uh, Tenet too? He did Tenet. Yeah. He did, he did Dunkirk. He did uh, fucking everything. I mean, he did so many iconic films that people love. And then he's doing Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Very, very excited about that. He might actually launch a nuke. I don't think we so. We don't know. I don't think so. Um, it's going to be, it's probably going to be incredible. Um, Christopher Nolan is, it's so cool though to see like, these humble beginnings mm-hmm. and now he is literally he, he he's like a, kind of what i mentioned in the last episode where yeah where it's like, like he is a draw name yeah he's one of those names and he's still one of those directors that is allowed to get these ridiculous budgets mm-hmm. um and it's so insane to watch him go from memento to these giant imax like 
experiences like Dunkirk and you're like, you fucking started off making Memento mm-hmm. and now you're out here filming this incredible war film that is, you know, being recognized as maybe one of the best ever made. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's incredible. But Memento is, I think, pretty much a perfect film. But the only reason why people might not think of it is because it's confusing as shit. Yeah. But that's fine, too. Like, there are yeah. some movies that are so confusing that, like, you just absolutely love. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I, I love Memento. Um, and if you haven't seen Memento, um, I don't want to go too far into, like, what it's about. Yeah. I, I pretty much told you what it is. I don't want to give away any spoilers because it's probably a film that maybe a lot of people actually haven't seen. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to say you should really, really check out Memento if you have not seen it. Mm-hmm. My next one, 2019, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. We talked earlier about like movie. we it's talked earlier about the um the jaw drop scene. Yeah. Um this movie had several for me. And I was like between when when all the family members are trying to get in with the house and like it got to the point of I think it was the daughter like leaving like the panties inside the car. Yep. Um and then of course, you know, like basically kicking the nanny out so the mom could get in and then the big reveal of the basement where there's somebody living down there like it was just this like the husband of the maid right yes it was just this oh my fucking god what are we gonna get next yeah and it was just this great story from a man who prior to this you kind of knew him as the host guy like yeah, he made like the ho- memories like, of murder. Yeah. But like the, the thing that I knew from him beforehand was the host, which was just this fucking weird fish monster. That was like a take on pollution. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. Not bad. But then this movie really propelled it to where it's like Bong Joon Ho is like one of the best to come out like in years as a director. <laughs> Like, it was just so jaw-dropping. Everything by the end of it made so much sense. It was a compelling story that made you feel for the family, but at the same time hate them for what they're doing. Like, just basically taking over another life. Yeah. Um, And then seeing, like, their poverty and, like, seeing how, like, they really function as a family by the end of it. How it's like, it didn't break them. It was just a masterpiece to see. Like... I, I remember going in theaters and like again like four or five times I just slunched in my chair and I was just I had my hands over my mouth because I was just like what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an intense movie. Um, I think I saw it first, right? And I was like, dude, you got to see Parasite. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's uh, I it was definitely probably my favorite movie that came out that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was super happy when it won, like... Um, Best picture and pretty much everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it just, it worked so yeah. well. And, like, that was the year that I was super surprised because, like, they'll never give it to a South Korean director. Right. Like, that's just not how the Oscars work. Yeah. And then we got that, and then we got Joaquin Phoenix winning Best Actor for Joker. Right. So it's like... For whatever reason, I got very... I thought for... I, for, for you said Joaquin Phoenix and I thought Keanu Reeves. I'm like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he could play Joker. No, he could not. God. <laughs> Bill and Ted. Go yes. ahead. Sup, bro? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So my next pick is... Um, okay. So now this is 
we, we this movie comes up all the time when we talk about when when we're talking about films. This is a, this is a movie that has been brought up on this podcast, you know, a bunch. Yeah. Um, but this is a film that, like, when it comes to sheer technicality, when it comes to story, technicality, mm-hmm. cinematography, pacing of the film, score, everything, like this is the film that I think is technically perfect in a masterpiece. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, you always talk about Blade Runner. 2049 to me, I think, is literally a perfect film. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, from like a technical standpoint, from a complete like metaphorical and to to somehow take the original and in my opinion, the only reason why now to me the original even should be watched is because it's because Runner it's like you have to get to the sequel because mm-hmm. like the sequel to me is like leaps and bounds better than the original yeah and i I'm, understand why people love the original i don't like it really <laughs> like, really at all yeah uh but denis Valneau just fucking he murders kind, it he's kind of on that nolan trajectory of just these massive films these giant like he's doing Mm -hmm. these blockbusters but he's doing it in the sci-fi realm yeah and well not only that too but like for him to make that and then also do dune Dune? like another like it's close it's it's getting there like the traction is there to being like one of the best films to be made in years yeah Absolutely. Like, Dune is super cool. Yeah, Dune is cool. And I'm I'm very excited for part two. But yeah, like, same thing. Like, 2049 is, like, this movie that it's, like, it has a lot of things going against it because it's, like, it's got the time of it. Like, most people will not sit there for three hours yeah. for a film. Yeah. Um, I've always not been a fan of Ryan Gosling. But yep. this, this is the movie where it's, like, oh, you're playing an emotionless person. That works. Yeah. You don't have emotion anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely. So. Yeah. Uh, and just like the story itself, man, this noir story of tr- mm-hmm. like, it's actually really fucking compelling. And the one thing that I always say about, you know, the, the, the thing about um, a noir film that kind of is difficult is when after you've seen it once and you understand the mystery and you mm-hmm. figure out like who, who did it in the end. You, it loses rewatchability. Yeah. But Blade Runner 2049 for me doesn't. And I think that's one of the main reasons as to why I love it so much is because everything else about it, it's also similar to like Mandy is mm-hmm. like, it's a fucking vibe. Mm-hmm. Like there's this, there's you just a, gotta be in the mood to watch it. It's a real mood to watch. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's a fucking technically perfect film, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 2049. Absolutely. All right. Time to go into my older one. Um, the movie that I always bring up is like one of my top three, and that is 1982's John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I threw one in there that was like obvious. The Thing is just perfect to me. Um, Between Keith David and Kurt Russell, like they're just, they are the best cast for this film. You have John Carpenter, who has made some of my favorite horror movies ever made. Um, it is Lovecraftian in the sense that it's cosmic horror. Yes. Um, the idea of the thing that like it just latches onto like anything and then becomes it and then can transform. You don't know who it is. It's got like this huge thing of like a metaphor for it of like not being able to trust. 
It came out during the Cold War, which was, like, this whole idea for it anyways, which is, like, we can't trust our own people. Yeah. The mystery aspect to it at the end of who is the thing, is either of them it, is neither of them it, like... It just works so well. The the technical ways that he did it, the the fucking practical effects alone for this film is Art what is what the best. Every movie that tries to do cosmic horror or any movie that tries to do like gore should do. Yeah, like this is the movie that you need to watch before. Yeah, like, like if you want to get into practical effects. Watch the thing. Yeah. Like, that is the that is the pinnacle of it. Yep. And that's always been my biggest praise for this film, is, like, it knows what it's doing, and John Carpenter took the time to actually make sure that everything looked correctly. Yeah. I love the thing. Everybody everybody loves the thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a movie that is... It, it, it like it's a masterpiece to the people that love it. Yeah. Like you know what and I mean. And that's me. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's it's. I think that if you're viewing it from the outside in, you could definitely like see like okay, it's not a perfect movie, no. obviously, but I mean, if you're if you're a fan of horror and gore and and suspense, mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot deny the thing. Yeah. At all. The only good thing about like the 2011 like remake slash sequel for it was like the ending is literally the beginning of this film. Right. That's the only thing I'll give that one to. Yeah. Because that one sucks. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but I've heard it's, only bad things. It's so weird because it's like... It's got uh, it's like Joel the, Edgerton in it, right? Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's so weird because it's like it's the exact same story, but then they're like, oh, it can't copy things like like that are artificial. So it's like if you have a gold tooth or like if you have like rings or like earrings like it can't copy that Hmm. which makes sense i guess but then it's like again it's the exact same story but it's from the the cabin that like in the original thing they go to visit and find that like the slab has like been broken open gotcha so it's like okay so is it a prequel yeah it's before yeah okay it's a prequel to it but then it's it's it was just weird because it's like it's still called the thing right so it's like, which one are you watching? Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, it, it's just a big old CGI monster. Oh, that's so disappointing. I know. But again, it ends with it turning into the dog and it running. And then the one guy is going in the helicopter to try and shoot it. Gotcha. So it sets right into the original. So literally, it's like, compl- it's like literally moments yes. before. That's so cool. it's like, okay. that. that's cool. But yeah. everything else about it is not good. That's so disappointing. I know. Especially that they went CGI. Like, if you're going to, if you're going to do a prequel and like, the thing is just known for its practical effects and for you to you to be like okay we're gonna do it in cgi now like that's just like that's like the one thing you have to do yeah is do practical effects exactly oh god even if the movie's shit at least give me practical yeah. effects <laughs> god that's terrible all right um uh my film my next film is a movie that i don't even know i don't know if you're even aware of or if you've ever heard of it uh but it's a movie that absolutely hit me in the right time when I was watching it. And um, I've only watched it once Mm -hmm. and it was years ago. So I can't, I'm not going to talk about it too in depth um, because I need, I would have to rewatch it, but I also just don't want to rewatch it because it just, (laughs) because you don't want to ruin the the mystery. No, No, it's not that it's not that it's just, it's so fucking heartbreaking and I just Mm -hmm. don't want to, I just don't want to watch it again. 
Uh, it's a 2008 film made by Charlie Kaufman called Synecdoche, New York. Mm. Uh, not to be confused with Schenectady, New York, which is a real town in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, Synecdoche, New York is a movie about a guy who... I'm just going to read the description of it. Mm-hmm. It says, a theater director struggles to f- uh, struggles with his work and the woman in his life as he attempts to create a life-size replica of New York City inside a warehouse as part of his new play. Mm. So this movie, and pretty much the reason why this movie um, has stuck with me, and I mean, A, it took a real emotional toll on me when I watched it, uh, and B, it kind of, all of these emotions kind of came forward after watching... Uh, Nathan Fielder's yes the rehearsal mm-hmm. because Nathan Nathan Fielder's the rehearsal with him making all of these exact replicas of people mm-hmm. doing again and, and and whatnot are it just, reminded me of it yeah it's very similar and it stars um what's his name Philip Seymour Hoffman mm. and this movie boy <laughs> it is a fuck it makes you it makes you hurt uh. It's sad, and I think a lot of it just has to do with like a personal, like personal experiences that you have in your life, and if you can relate to like what he's going through. But mm-hmm. I mean, you're the movie is tackling life and death, and 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 just like your purpose in the world, and trying to trying to create something in in the world that is deep and impactful, and and will kind of make an impact on people's lives, and the idea of like an artist, a struggling artist who is who is trying to be known as somebody like he wants to be remembered mm-hmm. but it's like is that really what's truly important in the world or is it really like the the you know the your relationships with people and and, and your personal relationships that you're having yeah. with, with loved ones um it's it's really really heartbreaking and sad uh and i don't know if i can recommend watching it because <laughs> of that but it's a really deeply personal film by charlie kaufman mm-hmm. and it's really it's really intimate and um you're gonna cry, hmm. guaranteed. <laughs> well, I need to feel emotion sometimes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so I would, I would highly recommend Synecdoche, New York, to anybody. Um, but at the same time, just know what you're getting into. Okay. Um, before my last pick, I just want to say like my honorable mention ones, um, and they're they're more or less like the obvious choices, and that's why I didn't go that route. Um, <clears throat> Mad Max: Fury Road. I still think it's a it's a fucking banger of a movie. Um, <laughs> it's one that comes up a lot too. It that is we, that we talk about. Uh, there will be blood, obviously. Yes. The Shining, obviously. Two thousand one Space Odyssey, obviously. I already mentioned Hereditary, and then I really feel like Joker was like a perfect film with Joaquin Phoenix. Wow. Over Taxi Driver, crazy. Yeah, that's ba- it's basically. I know. Just taxi, I, driver. Tax, taxi Driver is great, but like, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, these were just the ones that popped into my head right off the bat. Obviously, this whole episode is really just kind of like what I thought of first. Yeah. Um, because there's even like originally in my my list, Mad Max was in it, and then I was like, oh my god, Parasite. Right. So it's like I had to switch it up on the spot for yeah. some. Um, my last one which was the other film that I was like super, super interested for in 2019 was The Lighthouse. Robert Eggers. Always going back to The Lighthouse. I, man, I, I do it Always every single time. Always going back to The Lighthouse. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Between like <laughs> the way that he did it of the aspect ratio, black and white, it's this film that just stars two people 
and the insanity that ensues. It's got everything that I want. It's got the cosmic horror aspect of it. It's got Greek mythology metaphors to it. Like, it just works so well. It's it's Willem Dafoe. It's Robert Pattinson as he's starting to build up away from fucking, like, well, let's Twilight. Not even, let's not even bring it up. No. I'm like, tired of it. He's, I'm tired he's, of bringing up Twilight <laughs> when it, whenever we whenever we mention Robert Pattinson because yeah. it's like, he's done so many other things. Like, yeah. He's just, he's, he's like, we're done with it. Twilight yeah. is no longer like, it's not even like a funny joke anymore. <laughs> it's, it's over. Yeah. It's just, it, he's gone so much past that now. Yeah. Like it's, he's really just become Robert Pattinson known for these indie weird films. Yeah. And I love that. I think that like really, really shines. I think it was like a perfect casting for it. It just always is one of those things where it's like every single time that I watch it, like I'm never bored. I'm never like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen next. It's always something where it's like. I'm in it. I'm enjoying it. I know what's going to happen, but I don't care because it's going to be great. And the ending still gets me every time. Yeah. And that's my list. What's your last one? Uh, the only other honorable mention that I wanted to mention was, of course, we have to mention Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. I was going back and forth with that one because I was like, man, it's so like the beginning alone is so good. Yeah. Even though it's. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, okay. So. My last pick is a film that I actually recently just watched for the first time, um, like maybe a week ago. Mm-hmm. Kung uh, Fu maybe, Panda? Maybe less. Stop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's a film that I think is... So I am going down a rabbit hole right now of Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. So it's a Brian De Palma film. Um, and it's not Carrie, and it's not Scarface, and it's probably a movie that a lot of you might not even ever heard of called blowout Mm-mm. call uh, starring john travolta and uh what's her name the girl from carrie uh not sissy space like nancy allen who plays oh, really? like the girl who is the one that like pulls the string mm-hmm. on, on 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 her uh so blowout is so first off blowout has maybe now now that i've watched it one of my favorite opening scenes in ever in a film really it is so fucking good and it's oh God, I want you to just watch it. Um, so let me show you what Blowout's about. So Blowout is about a guy, uh, Jack Terry, who is John, played by John Travolta, and he's a sound recordist who works on like really shitty horror films, mm-hmm. like low budget, low budget horror films. Um, and then one evening he's outside recording for for uh, a movie so he's just like recording the sounds of cars driving by and wind blowing and you know toads cricket whatever there's just mm-hmm. just random noises and as he's out there he witnesses a car crash that goes uh there's there's a car crash and the ca- the car goes over a bridge lands inside of a lake Travolta jumps inside the lake to like make sure you know see if anybody's in there if they're alive if, if who's hurt mm-hmm. um and there's a girl in there, so, and, he, and he saves her, and the guy, the driver of the car is dead. Um, and the whole movie is Travolta being like, I swear I heard a noise before the blowout happened of, of it. And he has a recording of it. Mm-hmm. So he goes back and he plays it, and he's like, I hear a gunshot. There, there was a sound of a gunshot before the car before the tire blows out and the car and, and the car goes off into the, into the river. Mm-hmm. So now it's him trying, trying to, solve to piece this case. together uh, what he believes is like a murder. Hmm. And 
I think it is fucking perfect. <laughs> it is incredible. I was blown away by Blowout. Mm. I think that it is maybe Brian De Palma at his best. Uh, it is. It starts off as what I what I told you about, and then it turns. It, it like you're watching this movie, and then it turns into a fucking slasher, and mm. and it's just so good. It's got John Lithgow, who. You probably know the name, and you'll you'll know his face if you see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays a fucking weirdo, so good. Uh, and Travolta is perfect for it. Mm-hmm. It's it's this is the movie mm-hmm. that got him the job for Pulp Fiction. Oh, this, okay. This is okay. The so movie. this is younger. John yeah, yeah, yeah. This okay. is this is the eighties. So this is the film that that when everybody didn't want Travolta for mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, Tarantino was like, "You need to go watch Blowout." And if you're going to sit there and tell me that you think that this is a bad performance from him, then I don't want to do the movie with you because mm. we clearly have different views on what a good actor is. Okay. So this is the film that is the reason why John Travolta was picked for Pulp Fiction. So if that, you know, that alone might, that should pique your interest. Okay. He's really good in the movie mm-hmm. and the, the story is great. And the ending, when I tell you it is a perfect ending, it is literally the most perfect, perfect ending that you could ever imagine. Okay. It is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's great, and I love it, and I think that we need to do it at some point. Okay. After uh, spooky season. It's It would be horror adjacent. Oh, okay. Kind of. So, I kind of... <laughs> now now, now I, it's like, do you do that, like, or do, do you do, do horror? Do I do blowout, or do I do my horror film? Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, let me do my recommendation, and I'll ponder it while yeah. I do my recommendation. <laughs> As you speak, ponder. Um. So, there's a, there's a, a brand... I've been... So, I've been... You know, we, we kind of did an episode uh, a few, maybe a, a few months ago at this point about me kind of making my shirt, my first kind of like short film. Yeah. Uh, so I've been continuing this series uh, with like local artists and um, something that I've really been trying to get into and I'm trying to get better and better at it every, every time is uh, sustainability. Mm-hmm. It's there. I, I just did, I just did one with a girl who runs a sustainable clothing brand. Everything is upcycled and recycled and she tries to use every single bit and piece of fabric that she can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, there's a sneaker brand called nothing new, mm-hmm. which is basically a, they look like converses. They're very, very similar to like converses or Keds. Um, but the thing, the great thing about them is they are like, 100% recycled. Okay. This the, the the canvas that they're made out of is like made out of re, like plastic water bottles and I don't understand how the fuck that works. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how you take plastic and then and make it into it a shoe. Into like a shoe and a canvas and a, and it feels good. Um but everything from like the rivets that they use to the laces to to the actual shoe itself is pretty much 100% recycled or upcycled. Wow. And I think that they're better than converse Mm. i think that they last longer they they just they are more comfortable they have really cool colors um they have like the low top and like the high top so if you like depending on what whatever you're into and i like their uh, obviously like what they're standing for like Mm -hmm. you know trying to fucking take water like bottles and plastic out of the fucking ocean and and putting it into something that is you know usable um and 
I like the I like the name Nothing New because yeah, it, that's, that's it's, cool. it's, a, it's clever. Know, yeah, it's a clever name, right? Like the materials are not new. Everything has been reused and, and upcycled. Um, so I would highly recommend checking them out. Check out the website. And and the cool thing is, like, there might be a little bit more expensive than a traditional sneaker. Like, you can probably get like a con like a high top Converse for what like sixty or eighty bucks. Yeah. I think they're more like in the hundred and ten dollar range. Mm. So a little bit more expensive, of course, but they're way better for the environment. Yeah. So if you can, I would say maybe spend the extra thirty bucks because it's your it's going to a better company. Mm-hmm. Um. So nothing new. Check them out. Ah, you had like you had like two <laughs> minutes to kind of think about it. <laughs> um, all right, we'll do blowout. Okay, we'll do blowout, and then we'll go really into uh, horror, in, into 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 horror. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna do 1981's Brian De Palma's Blowout. I'm very excited for you to watch this. Cool. Um, so that being said, uh, Zach, take us out. I right, guess. Thank you for listening. Now, Frank, roll the credits. <laughs>